Hi, I'm Tracy, an impassioned lady on a quest to slay working motherhood and find fulfillment. I'm here to help you navigate the beautiful and damned in the life of a working mom. I'm a PA, mom, wife, and lover of fashion who is guiding my fellow working moms to ditch the dread and find fulfillment in the wonder and the war zone that is modern motherhood. I teach you the clinical pearls you need to create a life you love, pearls you can apply today to change your life tomorrow. Skirt around those heavy real life topics? No way. Here you'll get an unfiltered ringside seat. You'll hear about the good, the bad, and the ugly. Parenting, step-parenting, marriage, motherhood, faith, and finances are all topics we will sit down and unpack together. Think of this as your one-stop shop for all the motivation and encouragement you need to help navigate working motherhood. Each week, it's like a mom's night out had a baby with a TED Talk. Then the mom's night out went back to work. Pull up a seat, get settled, and get ready to be inspired and encouraged. This is Fulfilled, the podcast. Hi there. Welcome back to Fulfilled, the podcast. This is episode four. I want to give you a little trigger warning up front. The goal of today's podcast is to honor Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month, which happens each October. I'd like to start the conversation to try to make a difference and to honor the babies that have been lost. But if you are not ready to hear about love and loss, about miscarriage and processing that and the joy that comes afterwards, you should skip it. You should skip this episode and you should come on back when you are ready. It's not going anywhere. Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month was first declared by President Ronald Reagan on October 15th of 1988. On that date, he said, when a child loses his parent, they are called an orphan. When a spouse loses his or her partner, they are called a widow or widower. When parents lose their child, there isn't a word to describe them. This month recognizes the loss so many parents experience across the United States and across the world. It is also meant to inform and provide resources for parents who have lost children due to miscarriage, ectopic pregnancy, molar pregnancy, stillbirths, birth defects, sudden infant death syndrome, and other causes. He went on to say, Now therefore I, Ronald Reagan, President of the United States of America, do hereby proclaim the month of October as Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month. I call upon the people of the United States to observe this month with appropriate programs, ceremonies, and activities. I did some research because I was curious. I felt like Ronald Reagan declaring this back in 1988 was a relatively progressive thing. I didn't even know it existed until the last five or six years. Ronald Reagan and his first wife had two daughters, Maureen and Christine. Maureen predeceased President Reagan, but she lived to be in her 60s. Christine was born in 1947, and sadly, she only lived one day. I can only imagine how that experience, that loss, losing a baby within the first two days of life, shaped President Reagan and his position, and I'm sure it informed his desire to declare October as Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month. So this is going to be an episode which will probably cause a lot of emotions on both my part and your part, but I think it is still important to share. So here is my story with miscarriage and with loss. 
It was January 10th of 2014. It was a cold and blustery but sunny winter day, and Dan and I were getting out of work. We met up and we drove to my OB's office. It was our first pregnancy. It was our first baby together. We were going to see him or her on the ultrasound at the office, and we were so excited. We had shared the news of our pregnancy with our families and the big boys over the holidays. We had given them hand-painted signs that said, the best little brother gets promoted to big brother, and so on. It was going to be my mom and dad's first biological grandchild. Everyone was thrilled. The big boys were much younger then. They were more innocent and more excited. They didn't really know what big brotherhood would entail with a 10-year gap between themselves and their little siblings. In fact, even though they're older now, that baby blue and pink hand-painted sign still hangs in one of their bedrooms in a position of honor. That young boy did in fact grow up to be one of the most incredible and patient big brothers. I was enshrined in the blissful naivete that comes from being 24, newly married, young, healthy, and someone who honestly hadn't lived or walked through very many seasons that were unpredictable or different than the plan. Sure, sophomore year immunology was difficult, and PA school was hard, and rotations were stressful but also invigorating. Even transitioning from being a single 23-year-old newly graduated PA to a wife and stepmother was a transition that I, for the most part, took in stride. It wasn't that it was without challenges, it was more so that the challenges were anticipated. So there we are, we're driving to the OB's office, we chatted amicably and nervously on the way there, we were in the waiting room, we get back to the exam room, I can't remember exactly, but I think I was maybe 11 or 12 weeks along, we were both so very excited. Having kids was one thing that we had discussed early and often in our courtship during our 48-hour engagement and the planning of our Vegas elopement. But that's a story for another day. My OB, a seasoned doc in his 50s, having been delivering babies since I was a mere baby myself, walked in and welcomed us. I knew him from the hospital and our paths had crossed before. He warmly chatted while the ultrasound machine woke up from its lunchtime slumber and he placed the ultrasound jelly on my non-existent bump. He looked deeply into the grainy ultrasound photo. He moved the probe up and down, left and right. And I knew something wasn't right. I'm no ultrasonographer by any means, and I don't really know how to read obstetric ultrasonography. But what I do remember, more so than looking at the screen and seeing an actual aberrancy with our baby, was that his face changed. My OB's face fell ever so slightly. Uh, He asked if we could do a transvaginal ultrasound, and we did. And then he told us, with calm and practiced words and a steady cadence, that the baby had no heartbeat. I can still hear him saying, I'm sorry, guys, there's no heartbeat. I can feel Dan's hand on my shoulder, hearing his breath catch and his hand tightening ever so slightly. I can feel what felt like a fastball to the sternum where all the air left my lungs and this news literally knocked the wind out of me. I remember thinking, no heartbeat? Did he say no heartbeat? What does that mean, my baby has no heartbeat? My my heart stopped beating. And then it started again. And I thought, heartbeats are a necessary, vital, crucial part of being a baby that is alive. And then it dawned on me. 
My baby wasn't alive. We had made a baby and the baby had died before we could even see him or her. Once I caught my breath, we went on to discuss options for allowing for a miscarriage to happen naturally or proceeding with a DNE, which stands for dilation and evacuation. Uh, essentially, it's where the cervix is dilated and the products of conception are removed from the uterus. My OB appointment was on a Thursday and kind of not really wanting to go into the weekend miscarrying naturally, not really knowing what that would be like. And me feeling like that would be hard and stressful for me, not knowing when or what was going to happen. We scheduled our DNA for the next day for Friday. After a night of unrest and questioning, of feeling exhausted and wrung out and confused, we came into the hospital that I now operate at regularly. I was placed in a normal pre-op holding bay, one that I walk by essentially once a week now. I got changed from my leggings and a sweater into those teal and blue hospital gowns, the ones I'd seen my patients wear hundreds of times in my very short career as a surgical PA. My IV was placed and my allergies were reviewed and the lovely nurses brought me a warm blanket. Then it happened. While waiting for my OB to mark me and say good morning for us to roll back into the OR, one of the same-day surgery nurses brought in her baby. She was on maternity leave, I'm assuming, and she brought her two-month-old daughter into the same-day surgery holding area. She was stopping by for a visit. I heard her say that they'd been in the area, and they felt like popping in to say hello. The curtain to my holding bay was open just enough that I could see the infant car seat. I could see the bundled-up, pudgy newborn girl with her pink, fuzzy blanket. And the new mom who was proudly sharing her joy and her daughter with her coworkers. Up until that moment, I had been as stoic as I could be. I had smiled and chatted with my admitting nurse. I was certainly sad, but I felt like I was as poised as I could be. I was being good, just like society told me I should. But when I saw that woman and her beautiful baby, her baby that had lived, I started losing it. And so Dan, he noticed my demeanor was changing. He sort of start, saw me start to fray around the edges. And although we'd been married less than a year, he knew me well enough to know that when he saw those changes in my posture, that something was happening. And I was, at that time, losing my ability to keep it together. So he asked me, what's wrong? All I could get out was her baby lived her baby lived. And that's all I could say before I dissolved. And so Dan held me while I sobbed and until I calmed down and I recovered my breath. And then he said, what can I do? And I said, I need her to leave because I can't leave. And one of us has to leave. I just felt like I couldn't sit there the baby that we had prayed for, the baby of our dreams inside my uterus, the one that hadn't lived, the one that we were there to get surgery to help miscarry all the way and watch a woman I've never met joyfully snuggle her perfectly healthy baby girl, a baby girl who had made it, who had made it through the first trimester, the second trimester, the third trimester, who had made it through birth and her first couple of months of life as a newborn. 
I don't blame her. I've done the very same thing while I've been on maternity leave. I just couldn't have it happen right in front of me as I was miscarrying. So Dan rang the bell for the nurse. He rang the call bell and he kindly and respectfully, but pretty sternly asked that they take their visit out of my line of sight and out of earshot of my holding bay. I have never loved him more than I did that day for seeing me, for seeing that I was upset and that there was something that I couldn't handle in that moment and for standing up and asking that something change to make me less upset. Obviously, it didn't completely fix the situation, but he insisted that I was shielded to the best of his ability at that moment in the middle of what it was one of the toughest days that I have ever had. So moments later, there was a flurry of activity. The nurse and her adorable baby, her adoring coworkers and friends were whisked, I'm assuming, out into the hallway. I don't know exactly where they went, but I do know that they were no longer directly in front of me, and I could start to feel myself relax and breathe again. When my OB arrived, suddenly I was kissing Dan goodbye And I was being rolled back, as we say in the OR, into my room. I remember looking to my left and seeing my OB and his resident chatting at the scrub sink as I was wheeled past them to turn the corner to go into the same OR room I now scrub robotic surgery cases in every other Monday. I remember thinking, this is weird. I'm usually the one standing at the scrub sink chatting with my attending about the weather, the case, reviewing imaging, floor patients. And I'm normally standing just like them with my back to the person who is probably scared out of their mind. I remember thinking, my attendings and I do surgery every day. And so the OR has become this place that is totally normal for us. It's not upsetting. It's not sterile. It's not strange or cold or scary. It's the place where we do our work. And I remember thinking, I should turn around and I should hold more patients' hands as they go off to sleep. And even if they've had Versed in the holding area, they may or may not remember it. But I don't think more encouragement in the OR as patients are going to sleep and more comfort from their provider is going to hurt anything. I remember seeing the OR lights above me and the scrub tech in the corner who gave me a quick wave and introduced herself. I remember the anesthesia team helping me get situated on the table I do remember them joking that Dan probably tied my gown because it was tied up top, underneath, and around the side, which as providers we never do because we know that it's going to get untied in the OR. And I remember getting situated on the OR table, looking up and seeing the lights. And then I remember waking up in the PACU and my nurse was like eight or nine months pregnant She was offering me goldfish and ginger ale. She was asking me about my pain scale. I remember thinking, I'm awake. I survived. And my baby did not survive. And so I woke up and I was transferred back to same-day surgery where we would eventually be discharged. My OB stopped by and he reassured me that everything went smoothly. There was no abnormality and that we'd have results of pathology in seven to ten days. He was kind, and he spoke from a depth of confidence and compassion that comes from his years of experience. But I could tell also that he had never forgotten 
what it was like. This could have been his 5,000th DNA. I have no idea, but it was my first and it was very real. And this loss that we were experiencing was so deep. It was so profound and he was so compassionate and very, very patient with us. Guys, if you are looking to spruce up your wardrobe this fall, I know just who can help. Kelly and Melissa at Polished Plaid Style. They've put together an incredible fall fashion challenge. You'll get a list of items to buy, a shopping list with links to items, or a way that you can shop your own closet if you're looking to use the items that you already have. You'll get 31 daily outfit prompts and an outfit calendar, and also access to an incredible Facebook group where you can hang out with me and a bunch of other awesome women who are upping their style this fall. If I offered to choose awesome, classy, dressy, or casual outfits for you each day to boost your confidence, increase your compliments, eliminate you having to choose your own outfit for less than a dollar a day, I know you'd be jumping at that chance. Well, Kelly and Melissa have done just that. Go check out this fall fashion challenge. It's open now and it starts October 12th. And at that point, there'll be people daily posting in the Facebook group, which is really my favorite part of the fashion challenge. So go check this out at polishedplaidstyle.com slash fulfilled podcast. That's polishedplaidstyle.com slash fulfilled podcast. And then you can join me and some of my awesome friends in the Facebook group where you'll get to be a part of the most incredible, supportive, and effortlessly styled community. Goldfish, we got I'll dressed there. at home. I think I had, we stopped at the pharmacy to get my prescriptions and um, Dan was going into the grocery store where the pharmacy was and he said, do you want anything to eat? I remember, you guys are going to laugh. I hope this makes you laugh. Um, I asked for Chef Boyardee. The thing I wanted, the comfort food that I asked for on the day when I was recovering from my DNA was Chef Boyardee. I cannot remember specifically if it was the beefaroni or the beef ravioli. I hope someone's laughing right now. I don't remember which of those it was, but he got me probably a half dozen cans of Chef Boyardee. I did not eat them all. And then we went home with my meds and he got me settled in on the couch with blankets and freshly out of a can, Chef Boyardee, and then came the healing. So I remember thinking things like, I'm so young. I'm 24. How could this happen to a young 24-year-old? And I remember thinking, I'm so healthy. I eat well, with the exception of the Chef Boyardee normally. And I can run a half marathon. I can, in the last six months, I have completed a sprint distance triathlon and I got a reasonable time. I can alpine ski all day long, eight hours a day and keep up with the kids. I can chase our sons and catch them, but I can't carry a baby. I remember questioning. I remember questioning, will I even be able to have kids? I remember thinking, what did I do wrong? What went wrong? And I remember thinking, what can I do differently next time? Was it something that I did or didn't do or did too much of or not enough of? And I was really in this spiral of negativity and questioning where I was wondering why this happened and why it happened to me and why it happens at all. Intellectually, I knew. I knew these things happened. I had learned about these things 
it was a fact. People had early term miscarriages. Emotionally was a whole different story. Having never experienced such a profound and surprising loss, I had a really hard time. I was really scared to try again. I was unsure about when we should try again. I was terrified that it would keep happening again and again. I questioned if I would ever be a mother in the way I wanted to be a mother, in the way where I got pregnant, carried a baby, delivered the baby. And I'm one of those people that when I'm faced with a situation like this, I go all the way down all of the roads with all of the options. And they're usually negative or really alternative to what I would originally have imagined. So I thought about us having to do this again and again, about having multiple miscarriages. I thought about seeing specialists as to why, about needing to adopt. Would we do domestic or international adoption? About needing to use a surrogate, how to go about that. We'd have to save money. What would it look like? What would it feel like? And I remember wondering what we would do if we couldn't get pregnant again. None of those fears were based in facts. All of them were potential scenarios in my mind that eventually didn't happen, but it didn't make them any less real to me at the time. Have you ever felt like that? Like something bad happened last time, so you're scared to try again for fear that that will happen again? It doesn't have to be pregnancy or loss, but even though you ever feel like Even though statistics argue against you, even though your own logic argues against you, inherently you knew it wasn't reasonable to be fearful again, but you were scared anyway. That was me about subsequent pregnancies. I felt completely alone. I didn't at the time even know anyone else who had miscarried, or at least not that I knew about. I was the first of our friend group to have babies. I was one of the first... I was the second. I was not the first to get married. Emily, you were the first to get married. And most of my friends were in this dating. They were engaged. They were planning weddings. They were getting married. And I didn't have a huge support system of women who were mothers, uh, of anyone who I felt like I could talk to about this. Dan was very supportive, but he wasn't a mother. He had never had a miscarriage. He had never had a miscarriage before this as a father either. So I called the one mother that I knew who was about our age. Her name is Melissa, and you'll hear about her in an upcoming episode. And I told her what happened. I told the story, and I shared my feelings, and she graciously and patiently listened. And then she said something that I will never forget. And she shared with me the story of her friend from college, of her cousin, of another woman she knew all of whom had early trimester losses when they were young and healthy, and all of whom went on to have healthy, happy babies. She may or may not even remember that conversation, but I will never forget it. For the first time, I didn't feel completely and totally alone. I was feeling pain and shame and isolation. I knew, obviously I knew, I wasn't the only woman in the history of the world to experience miscarriage. But hearing Melissa tell me names and stories of women she knew, of women someone I knew knew, who I now felt connected to, and in knowing that it was happening to others, it was so powerful to me. So in case you're walking through this season or you have walked through this season and you don't have a Melissa to call, you do have me. And I'm reminding you that if you have walked through the heartache of pregnancy or infant loss, 
that you are not alone. You are not alone. And that there is a whole wide, deep group of moms and dads out in the world who have known the pain of a dream crumbling, who have known the pain of their expectations changing, and who have known the need to process things going in a completely different direction than they had thought or dreamed. And so if you are walking through this season or you have walked through this season, you are seen and you are heard, you are loved and you are prayed over, you are worthy and you are valid. And your fear and your pain and the feelings that you are feeling are just what you are supposed to be experiencing. They're real and it doesn't make them easy. It just makes them real. And so part of the reason I feel that pregnancy and infant loss awareness is so important for me is that I don't want other women to feel that deep, profound sense of isolation, of feeling that they are alone amidst the deep and profound sense of loss and grieving. You are not on this path alone. This path that you are on, it has been walked by millions of moms before you, millions of women. We have worn the path. We have walked back and forth. We have turned around and we have helped those who are on the path behind us. And we have had sleepless nights and we have paced the floor and we have been questioning and we have doubted and we have not known what the future holds. And we have walked through the fear and the triumph and the joy and the pain that is life and loss and motherhood. And we want you to know, I want you to know that you are not alone on this journey. I walked the journey and that millions of other women walked the journey and men walked the journey and dads walked the journey. And I want to encourage you to keep going That if you are intentional and if you are careful and if you talk about it and find some help and some resources and some support that up ahead on this path, which feels dark and lonely, there is healing and there is a light at the end of this tunnel that is filled with shame and fear and doubt and wondering, and you are not alone on that path. I was on that path and I felt alone. And so if you are on that path and you feel alone, you are not alone. There is support and there are resources. And there are also people like me who are going to turn around on the path and say to other moms, other women, other dads, other men, that they are not alone, that the path has been walked before them and it will be walked again. And that you are part of a community that loves you and will prop you up and will help you keep going in this season. Hey, it's Tracy. Do you ever feel stuck, stagnant, overwhelmed, and overworked? I've been there, and honestly, I am still there many days. I wanted to take a second to remind you that you have unique talents to do incredible things, that your big dreams can change your world and the world. But really, honestly, only if you're willing to first define what your big dreams are. Are you looking to create some direction in your dreaming? Do you want to create clarity and figure out where the heck your life is headed? I got you. I created an incredible guide to design your dream destination. It's four steps to go from feeling frazzled and overwhelmed to feeling fulfilled and joyful for this exact purpose. I'll walk you through the four simple steps to go from dreaming those big dreams to living them out. 
This podcast, the one you're listening to, is a big dream of mine, and it's actually happening. Trust me, the process in this guide works. The best thing? The guide is completely free. I'm giving it away to anyone who asks. Simply send me an email at fulfilledpodcast at gmail.com with the subject line, I'm ready. If you are ready to stop feeling stuck and start taking big steps towards the life so of your So I want to talk a little bit about I can't wait to the technical details for what happened to us. So you'll hear it called a missed AB or a missed abortion. Essentially, it's what happens when the fetus didn't form properly, its heartbeat never started or the heartbeat started and then it's not beating anymore. So the thing about a missed AB is that the placenta and the embryonic tissues are still in your uterus. If you haven't physically miscarried or expelled the products of conception, you haven't had bleeding or an active miscarriage. So it's known and more commonly probably called a missed miscarriage. I will always call it a missed AB because that's what our OBGYN told us at the time. It's sometimes called a silent miscarriage, which is not a term that I super like because I don't think it's silent. It sounds very loud and very profound when it's happening to you. So the baby was still on the inside, um, but it wasn't viable. It wasn't living. So pulling from my conversations with the OB and my PA school training, I knew it wasn't my fault. I obviously intellectually knew that. And I knew that these things obviously happened and it's one in four. So you'll hear that quoted a lot and you probably see it this month. One in four pregnancies kept swirling around in my mind. I remembered it being caused by a genetic mismatch, something that goes wrong in early development that is not compatible with life, some sort of aberrancy that is unlikely to happen next time. And next time was a really hard thing for me at the time to be talking about or thinking about because next time was terrifying. So back to the story, um, what happens is you have the DNA, or I had my DNA, and the products of conception were sent to pathology, pathologist sections and reviews them. And the news came back. I think we saw the OB one or two weeks later to see you know, how the bleeding was, how everything was healing. And the news came back that there were no abnormalities. There was no molar pregnancy. There was no actually medical contraindication to trying again right away. The PA at my OB's office, she hugged me on my way out, and we've become good friends now because I've spent a lot of time at the OB's office over the last five years. And she whispered in my ear, I don't know if you remember this, Brie, um, medically you're ready whenever you are emotionally and spiritually ready, which was music to my ears because when the OB said you can try again whenever, you could try again as soon as this month. I felt totally unready to try again. And so by saying that, by validating that there was a degree of emotional and spiritual healing in addition to physical healing, it just gave me the encouragement I needed to take the time that we needed to heal so that we could process and share and to tell the story and to make sure that Dan and I were both emotionally and spiritually ready to try again. So Brie, if you are listening to this, I, I love you for saying that. I love you for seeing where I was and for knowing that I needed to hear that. I'm so thankful that you that you said it and that you went on to, to see me for the three healthy babies that we have, who you helped to be a part of the care team for. And um, 
still, I will see you in December for my pap because everyone should be getting normal GYN screenings. So I want to talk about things that helped me or things that would have helped me if I had known about them or had the will wherewithal to seek them out. So sharing my story with friends and family, calling people like Melissa and my sister and my mom, um, really diving into and sitting quietly with my feelings helped me. That is still something that almost a decade later I am still working on. Conversations with Dan helped me. Therapy would have helped if I had gone. Support groups would have helped if I had sought one out. And time. Time helped me feel emotionally, spiritually ready to try again. So the bottom line is that whenever we walk through a trauma or a loss or a hard season, we need to be intentional about finding a safe place to process what happened and to find strategies to help ourselves. What helped me might not be the thing that helped you or might not be the thing that helps you in the future, but finding the strength to address the loss through the tears, through the pain, through the hard feelings was a tremendous and tough blessing. And I think there's always a way that you can look back on a season and say, I wish I would have, or if only I had, but I think we processed it as well as we could with the tools we had at the time. I think if it happened to us later, we would have been more proactive about probably seeking out therapy and support groups, other parents, other people to be able to walk through what would have been a shared experience or a shared trauma to process this loss. So I want to encourage you to tune back in next week. Next week, I'll be sharing an interview with Susie Conrad. She is an incredible friend and our doula from when we had Archer. And Susie will be sharing the details of her journey through loss, how she coped and survived and processed and thrived through this season of loss and eventually of rainbows. You definitely won't want to miss that conversation, and I hope you can join us next week. I want you to remember that October 15th each year is um, the official day of pregnancy and infant loss, and it has been since 1988, which we learned at the beginning. And each year there is what's called the International Wave of Light. So at 7 p.m. in every time zone, millions and millions of people light a candle in honor of all the babies that have been lost. And it creates, if you think about that, 7 p.m. in each time zone, like a wave, like the wave at a soccer game, a wave of light that proceeds around the world. Just want to remind you that when you're walking through a hard season, it's important to find a safe place to bring those things that you're carrying, those feelings, the mess that you're walking through, and you've got to bring them out of the darkness and into the light. Fear and doubt and shame live in the darkness. They thrive in the darkness. And when we share our fear and our shame and our doubt with others, we bring it out into the light and we have conversations about it when we process. It takes away a lot of its power and it makes it not any less, but I think it makes us feel more adept, more apt to deal with it if we're bringing it out into the light and having conversations about it and telling other people about it and sharing it. And so 
If you're walking through something, whether it be miscarriage or a loss, something hard, depression, anxiety, disordered eating, anything that you are walking through, if you bring it out of the darkness and into the light, there is power in community. There is power in shining a light on it and it will shrink away from companionship and compassion and community and friendship and family if you have encouraging people in your life. And if you don't, you can find them online or you can find a therapist. So if you're dealing with something in the darkness and it is a secret and no one knows, think about sharing it with one person who you trust, who might be able to help you shine some light on it. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for listening to what is a very personal and very emotional story and a time in my life that was so, so hard, but that came out with the rainbow that is Colby and then Archer, and then Ann and all of their lives and all of their pregnancies and all of the things that came after this loss were blessings and that we were stronger and changed and different because of walking through this loss on our way to today. Thanks so much for being here. Until next time, keep on slaying your own fire-breathing dragons. Thank you so much for hitting play on another episode of Fulfilled, the podcast. I have a favor to ask. If you like what you heard today, please tell your friends. Take a screenshot and share it on social. You can tag me on Instagram at Mrs. Tracy Bingaman, and you can tag the podcast at Fulfilled Podcast. And please consider leaving a review. I'd love to hear what you think and your reviews can help other moms find me so they can grow alongside you. Oh, I almost forgot. Don't forget to subscribe so you get next week's episode automatically in your podcast queue. Instant inspiration and all the mom jokes? Yes, please. We'll see you next week on Fulfilled the Podcast.